Let us all pray together. Your Majesty, when we worshipped you, you filled the room with your presence and you inhabit the praises of your people. And so you came down to occupy our hearts and minds. And that happened, Lord. We so often pray to you and say, Oh God, but we want to pause today and unpack the word God and understand the Trinitarian peaks of majesty that make up our God. That there's a father who embraces us and a brother who walks alongside of us and a spirit who fills us. Three yet one and one yet three, co-equal, co-existent, always giving glory to one another, drawing us into that as hikers in the high country. And how wonderful it is to pause and look at the majesty of those peaks and feel the release of our spirits in praise and honor and gratitude and to connect with you not just by looking at you as if you were a postcard picture but hiking, hiking the back country of God. And may it be that your word will lead us into that high country this morning and we will leave you saying God is great and majestic and I know him better and I want to worship him more and this for your glory's sake Amen we're looking at the fact that not all who wander are lost And this morning, uh, it's the life of David that comes to our attention. And what we can say from the psalm is that when we look at life, nothing makes sense. Just look at the headlines and you will agree, nothing makes sense. Civilian aircraft shot down. Orphans, children abducted in Nigeria, suffering. The list goes on and on. In your own history, there have been events in your life that didn't make sense. Maybe you're in the midst of those circumstances right now. Something's going on and you're just throwing up your hands saying, doesn't make sense. Or you know somebody who's there in that place where nothing makes sense. And just tighten your seatbelt because round the corner... Something in your life will stop making sense. It's almost as if uh, what Nietzsche said, if there is a God, he must be the devil. We feel that there's some element in that that we resonate with. And then we get the biblical perspective on it and we realize, well, Nietzsche's quite right. That there is a God of this world and he is the devil and he is a madman pulling the levers And nothing makes sense because mankind gave their allegiance to their devil and that's how he runs the world. But David gives us an alternative. And so this picture is uh, like a picture that leads you nowhere. There's stairways that are back to front and they lead onto landings that are not 
part of anything and everything's higgledy-piggledy. And when we look at the life of David, from one perspective, that is the picture of his actual life. And we want to look at that this morning because side by side with that, there is another side which we want to tap into this morning to realize that not all who wander are lost. So let's read Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Just a comment that we don't know what the event is that caused David to write this, but it's like a a perspective of his entire life, as we will see. And uh, so he starts with this cry for help. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Now here's the conclusion. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand our pleasures forevermore. Now, right in the middle of this is uh, this line from the psalm, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. If we try and organize our thoughts around that, one perspective may say, well, David is this hyper-spiritual, superficial person who's just mouthing empty words because when we look at his life we're going to see the lines for him fell in very unpleasant places or we may be tempted to say well David's just a plain out liar and when we take a big perspective of his life this picture more or less represents it that is a famous illustration by Gustav Dorr And it shows Saul throwing spears at David. And uh, all his life, virtually, David was dodging spears. So here's a brief overview. He was a shepherd boy who was overlooked when Samuel came to anoint the future king and came to David's family. Uh, All the brothers were gathered and Samuel went through and said, none of these, there must be somebody else. And there's sort of a bit of contempt in the scripture in which he said, oh yeah, there's that kid watching the sheep, said his father. And Samuel said, call him. 
and lo and behold, he is anointed. And what a promising start at age 13 or 14 or something like that, to be anointed a king. Oh boy, my life is going to be so great now. I'm the king. And the promising start gets better because one day he's taking food to his brothers in the front line of a war with the Philistines and there's Goliath um, lording it over the Israelis and calling them dogs and cowards and curs and saying, I'll just fight one of you, we'll spare the army. And David looks at all the trembling people around and he says, I'll do it. And Saul offers him his armor and he says, forget that. And with one shot of his slingshot, he kills Goliath. He then becomes like a famous soldier and people start singing a song about him. You could hear it being hummed in the streets and they were uh, singing it in the court. And it went like this, Saul, who's the current king, Saul has killed his thousands. Yay, Saul. But David has killed tens of thousands. So guess what Saul began to feel? Well, nervous. This upstart in my court, they're singing songs like that about him. And so he invites David to court. And David is an expert harpist. He, he practiced on a lyre while he was a shepherd. And he, he wrote over half the Psalms in the Bible. And so he sings soothing music. And Saul calms down. And then the rage overwhelms him again. And he starts throwing the spear. Eventually David, as a fugitive, has to run away and live in caves and Being hunted day by day, a whole band of other fugitives gather around him. These are the glorious ones he refers to in the psalm. Twice he escapes by divine intervention. Twice he's betrayed by the same man, no less. His wife came to despise him. Living with desperados, he could twice have killed Saul. He had Saul in his hand, once asleep. And he didn't do it because he said, Saul is still the Lord's anointed king and I'm not going to interfere with God's ways. His desperado friends were horrified and said, why didn't you do it? Saul is trying to kill you, so you know, you've got the justification to do it. He got reconciled to Saul through those events and every time Saul got irritated, annoyed, angry, started throwing spears again. And finally, after 20 years of this, 20 years of being on the run, he is made king of Judah, the two northern tribes. The ten southern tribes don't recognize him, so the war continues, and seven years later, he is made king of all Israel. Now you think, His lions will fall for him in pleasant places. Oh no, there's war. They're the Philistines, the Hittites, the Gittites. You name the ites and tites that you can think of. And David had to fight them. And in the midst of this, he abuses his power most terribly. He's a sovereign king and people do what he says. And he he sees the beautiful Bathsheba and summons him to his bedroom. And she's forced to be unfaithful to her husband. Then he, he orders that the husband be in the hottest part of the battle. And all the troops 
withdraw from him so that the husband gets killed, virtually murdered by David himself. And this war just continues. And then at the end of his life when he should be relaxing and you say, now David, the lines are going to fall for you in pleasant places. His son, his favorite son Absalom, begins a revolt against him, starts to usurp his power and David has to run from spears again. In a bizarre accident, Absalom is killed and David weeps inconsolably. So you can see from many perspectives this cry of help. Help, preserve me, O God, is like the theme of his life. And you can see him saying, nothing makes sense. I face death every day. And he concludes, and again we've got to ask, is this just the poet writing sentiments that he has not experienced? Therefore, he says, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon me to hell or Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand, pleasure forevermore. So there are two pictures that come out of Psalm 16. The first one is David in dread, dodging spears. And then there's this other side, the pleasant places, the safety, the pleasures forevermore, the joy, the tranquility. And we're trying to decide, well, David, which one is it? And I thought of the most tranqu- one of the most tranquil places I have ever been. That's in the Kruger National Park. It's the, well, the Elephant River running down the bottom there. And when you sit on the veranda of this little hut... If you're there before dawn, you, you hear the night sounds dying off. Uh, lions giving that throaty, throaty call of theirs. As the sun rises, the day sounds kick in. You might see a troop of baboons going by. The vervet monkeys will come and play at your feet. Down in the river, you'll see elephants coming. You might see a hippo wading in. You'll see crocodiles on the rocks. And if you really are fortunate, you may see a pride of lions come by snarling, looking for food. And so it's a very tranquil place. But you see, it's tranquil because there's a fence. (laughs) Without the fence, you'd be in the rafters of the hut. Because look at this slide. That's not called the Elephant River for nothing. And you don't want to irritate a bull elephant. Here's a pack of hyenas who did it, and they are a danger of their own, been known to take sleeping men out of a tent and uh, turn them into carrion. A hippo is the most dangerous animal in Africa. It kills more people than anything else. And uh, that one irritated that elephant, and he's tossing a one-ton animal as if it was a little stuffed toy. So you don't want to get on the wrong side of an elephant, and here somebody did. I don't know what tourists those were. Um, who are the most irritating tourists you've ever seen? <laughs> they got to this elephant. So it's dangerous outside the fence. 
And we want to ask then, hey David, what's true of you? And when you cry help and then you come to the place of joy and pleasure at the end, how does that happen? Because you want that in your life, don't you? You want to find the place of joy and pleasure. But at the moment or sometime past or maybe that spear being thrown at you is the picture of your life. Everything in your life has just been haywire and nonsensical and you want to reach there. So praise God for David who went from panic to peace. And here's how he did it. The first thing he did, and you find this woven throughout the psalm, is he affirms, you are my Lord. Notice it three times, and I've got two translations there. He says in the message, I say to God, be my Lord. Or in the English Standard Version, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. He says a second time, my choice is you, God first and only. Or the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. And a third time he says, day and night I'll stick with God. I have set the Lord always before me. And because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So the first thing for us to do is to affirm that God is God. Now, maybe you've done that sort of half-heartedly. Maybe you've done it and then forgotten. Because when you affirm that God is your Lord, he builds that fence around you. And despite the chaos of your outer life, you've got an interior life that is tranquil and at peace. Now, David wants... Well, many times that we know one time that he actually cut a hole in the fence and went outside when he did not acknowledge that God was his Lord. And that was when he abused his power with Bathsheba and followed it up with murder with Uriah. And at some stage through the prophet Nathan, he actually came back and realized the enormity of what he did. And he's written his confessions in the book of Psalms. You will find Psalm 32 talking about it and Psalm 51. And these are not a poet just writing pleasant thoughts. This comes out of the crucible of the furnace in which David found himself. And what did he do? Did he then go and walk around the wire and say I wonder how I can get back in again where's that hole that I cut maybe I can crawl in again on my hands and knees and as he comes to the gate what does he find God has unlocked it he's saying welcome home my prodigal son so you need to make an all out affirmation as do I once more say today you are my Lord and then weave it into the fabric of your being so that you wake up with the thought I have set God before me and you live with the idea that God is at my right hand and when you go to bed you affirm again the day was lived in the tranquility of God's presence despite the fact that I may have been dodging spears in my outward life. There is the inner place of tranquility. And the second thing David does is he acknowledges, I have a beautiful inheritance 
Or as the actual words say, and now I find, I chose you, God, and now I find I'm actually your choice. Isn't that just so deep and profound? You set me up with a house and a yard, and then you made me your heir. Or you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So he's crying, preserve me, help, I'm dodging spears. But I'm in this beautiful, tranquil inner place. Somebody sent me about two or maybe three years ago uh, a story, a parable, and I'm going to retell it. It's not my story, but I've personalized it and made it mine. Um, Let's assume that I decided to emigrate. Oh, come to think of it, I did. (laughs) And I had in my mind Switzerland. And so I, I studied pictures of Switzerland. I look at the map. I study the four languages of the Swiss. I start delighting my heart in the destination, in the snow-covered Alps, in the orderliness of Swiss life, in the benefits of being a Swiss citizen. Where am I going to get a job? How am I going to go about that? And I'm anticipating Switzerland. And lo and behold, I don't know how it happened, the plane drops me off in Belarus. Now, I actually went to Belarus in 1993, so I'll tell you the country was gray and blasted and weathered and worn with potholes, no working telephones. You get off the plane, you can't understand what's written on the signs because it's the Cyrillic script which you don't know. Nobody speaks English. They're all speaking either Belarus or Russian. You learn yet very quickly, (laughs) which is no. And you feel bewildered and lost and you're thinking, but wait a minute, I, I I was destined for Switzerland. So now what can I do? I can either go and sit in the bathroom and cry for two days or I can say this is where I am. So you start perking up and you start looking and you start asking and start appreciating. Then you come to understand the culture, the people are warm, the guide takes you around, you start meeting students who you're teaching and you realize that your life is being poured into theirs, you see changes in them, you see the light of learning coming on in their lives. And guess what? Now I'm at home in Belarus. And I'm much better as a Belarusian than I would have been as a Swiss. Because a whole different side of me is developed. Now my friend, you were planning Switzerland for your life, weren't you? But very few of us get to where we've planned to be. And so you may be in Belarus right now. Either resisting and fighting and feeling miserable about it. Or else saying, God... My lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You brought me here. I don't understand. I don't actually like it. But I'm going to grow and I'm going to be your person wherever you put me. Here's one of my favorite hymns as we start coming to a close. It says, God holds the key of all unknown. And I am glad. 
if other hands should hold the key, or God forbid, if he trusted it to me, I might be sad, I would be sad. The very dimness of my sight makes me secure. For groping in my misty way, I feel his hand. I hear him say, my help is sure. My help is sure. Enough. This covers all my wants. And so I rest. For what I cannot see, he can see. And in his care I saved shall be forever blessed. Forever blessed. So what we want to do as a congregation this morning, oh, the very dimness of, no, that's it, I think. Is there another slide there? So what we want to do this morning is affirm our faith and give thanks to God. And we're going to do that by reading Psalm 16 responsively. Uh, There's a leader part, and then you're going to respond. And I've put in bold print, it didn't come out there, but when it says, I say to God, say it to God right now, I say to you, God, be my Lord. And without you, actually nothing does make sense. So let this be the real response of your heart and mind. And here we go, reading the scripture as an affirmation of faith. Keep me safe, O God. I've run for dear life to you. I say to God, be my Lord. Without you, nothing makes sense. And these God-chosen lives all around What splendid friends they make. Don't just go shopping for a God. Gods are not for sale. I swear I'll never treat God names like brand names. My choice is you, God, first and only. And now I find I'm your choice. You set me up with a house and yard, and then you made me your heir. The wise counsel God gives when I'm awake is confirmed by my sleeping heart. Day and night I'll stick with God. I've got a good thing going and I'm not letting go. I'm happy from the inside out and from the outside in. I'm firmly formed. You cancelled my ticket to hell. (laughs) That's not my destination. Now you've got my feet on the life path, all radiant from the shining of your face. Ever since you took your hand, I'm on the right way. Amen and amen. Now we'll have a a minute of silence and you can actually put your life into that context. Give thanks to God for specific things and also tell him again, you are my Lord. Thank you.